Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, this evening we focus on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and the great depths that he went for our salvation. We thank and praise you for the gift of the forgiveness of sins that we have in his name and the hope of everlasting life. We pray tonight that you would work in our hearts through your word to give us true repentance of our sins and to bring us once again the, the marvelous comfort and balm and healing that we have in the wounds of our Savior. We pray this all in his saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace, his kindness, and compassion are yours to be found alone in that Redeemer. Amen. Our text for tonight is taken from the words of David in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Let us rise to hear these words in Jesus' name. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. I have a friend who lives in Chicago who years ago took me to a theater known as Second City Theater, and it's kind of a comedy club. And there was a play that was put on that night. And part of the play was uh, there were about 12 actors that came out, and they acted as though they were at kind of a, a dinner party and a party talking to each other, moving around the room, heard little, different little conversations. And all of a sudden, the light became very intense, intensely red. The, the whole mood of the room changed in the stage. And suddenly, all of these actors began apparently trying to act out how they really felt inside toward the people they were talking to and started to curse at them and get angry with them and have very evil thoughts and so on that were going on. And then the light would go back to white and everything was fine and they'd go back to their normal lives. And then all of a sudden it would switch again and they did this about four or five times and sad to say it got raunchier each time. But it was kind of an interesting depiction of our sinful human nature. It's kind of an interesting depiction about how we are really kind of like as human beings. That we're, we're able to sort of hide and shield sometimes how we're really thinking down inside and maybe things we'd really like to say. And yet there's something in us that kind of overrides that and causes us to sort of shield each other from having to hear that and see that. The text in front of us, David uses a word that in the Hebrew is, is really a word to describe something that is putrid and corrupt. The old King James trans, translated it as guile. It's a word we don't use very much anymore. The newer King James translates it as deceit. And it, it means to cover up something in such a way that you, you really have some evil inside of you and yet, and yet you don't maybe let that be known and let that be out. 
The French had used the word guile to, to talk about things that were cunning and, and deceptive. It's interesting that we, we sort of, without thinking about it, teach this to our children. Sometimes our children, when they're real little, are real honest. They'll maybe make a comment about somebody's weight or something else, real open and honest about something. And we, we have to say to them, you don't talk like that. You, you can't let people know the, the real honest thoughts that you're having about them or their body or whatever it is. You have to kind of keep this in and hold this in. And so as we grow up, I know for myself, I got really good at holding that back. I got really good at holding back sometimes the things I'm really thinking inside. Not really saying to people maybe thoughts that I'm having. Not really expressing to people some of the things that are going on in my head and in my mind and in my heart, inside of my emotions. So we, through practice at this, as we grow up, we get really good at this. We get really good at being deceptive in a sense, at, at hiding what's really going on inside of us from the people that are around us. And we, we know inside that we want to make sure that the people we're talking to have a really good impression of us. So we can't let them hear the real truth. We can't let them know the kinds of thoughts that are running through our head. We want people to have a good feeling and impression about us, and so we try to protect that as best as we can. And really, we all do this, and we should be grateful that we're not that open and honest. We would just destroy each other. We would destroy each other's feelings. We should be happy that there isn't that type of complete transparency with our fellow human beings. Because there are times and you maybe really want to say something and you have to hold back. Maybe you're harboring some anger or animosity towards someone. Maybe you're jealous of something that they have that you don't have and, and you'd really like to say something, but you gotta, gotta play nice. Maybe there's a point where you really want to be judgmental towards somebody, and uh, yet you realize that that's not going to go very well. But maybe you can't wait to go tell somebody else something that you've just, just discovered. But we bite our tongues, and we keep ourselves from saying too much. And it's interesting, even the people that know you best even your parents or your spouse or your roommate or best friend or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, we can still shield the, the, the honest feelings and thoughts that we can have inside sometimes away from them. Just, just think what it would be like if, if there really was complete open transparency with everybody, if there was absolute honesty with our thoughts to people. Just think how dramatically your life might change. Just think how, how many people would have relationships break up. How many friendships would be destroyed. How many people might even end up in trouble with the law. Is it possible you wouldn't be working where you're working? How many people in your life might just leave you, leave me? It's interesting to think that, that God has that type of transparent ability to look down inside of us and to see us. Remember the story of Jesus when the paralyzed man was dropped into the room because the room was so crowded and some of the people began thinking, who is this that thinks he can forgive sins? And remember it says that Jesus reading their thoughts 
began to talk to them. Think of that, reading their thoughts. The same King David that, that writes these words says this in Psalm 139. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And the problem we face is this. Unlike all of the people we try to shield from our real sinfulness, God, the only one who can actually see us, is the one who determines what happens to us after this life. And he's the one that can see it all right down inside of me. David, in the psalm, when he contemplates this about himself, this is what he says. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. As he's speaking to God. When he really thinks about his condition before God and that God knows it all, it's almost like God's heavy hands are just pressing down and crushing his chest with his guilt. About seven years ago, off of the coast of South Korea, there was a large ferry boat that tipped over and uh, there were close to 300, about 300 people that ended up drowning inside and cased inside of this ship that could not get out. One of them was about a 21-year-old young man and he took out his cell phone and began texting his parents. And he texted to them. The first thing he wanted to say was, please forgive me for all the things I've done wrong against you in my whole life. There's a, a sense inside of us when we, when we realize we have to face God that, that this, 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 um, this stuff that we've been hiding in us can become very oppressive and very heavy. You know, police, pol in police work, they often try to do interrogations in such a way and set things up in such a way to, to kind of coerce or coach a, a confession out of somebody. But every once in a while, somebody just walks into the police station because they can't take it. Their conscience is just burning inside of them with something they've done, and they just have to get it off their chest. They can't hide it anymore. The God who sees right through me and right through you tonight, through my sinful mouth, calls on you to stop hiding. Stop hiding what's inside of you. Stop hiding your guilt from him and just bring it bare and naked to him. Confess it. Just get it out. Acknowledge it. Just dump it in front of him. And he invites you to do that tonight because of what's going on in the middle panel of this painting. He has been so gracious, so kind, to send his son to make atonement for all of that guilt that's burning in your conscience and all the things you've even forgot about that you've done against God and other people. He has sent his son to atone for every single bit of that guilt. Think about it. This all-knowing God is the only one who really knows you. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. There are sins you've forgotten about. He could easily come up with a list of those if he wanted. This is the only being that really knows you, and he still loves you. He still wants to have a relationship with you. He still wants you to be his child. He still decided to put your name on, his name on you in your baptism. He still decides to, to feed you with the body and blood of his son so you know your sins are forgiven. He knows everything about you. He doesn't run away like everybody else might in your life if they really knew the truth. 
He knows your truth, and he's still, he's still here. He still comes to you. He still speaks his grace to you. He still speaks his forgiveness to you, his compassion and his tenderness, despite knowing it all. Many years ago, there was a woman in my congregation I was serving who had a number of children, and one of them had kind of run away from home and just abandoned the family. And any time I would talk to her, she loved all of her children, but that was the one that was burning on her heart the most. That was the one that, that she wanted to always talk about the most, hoping to restore that relationship. If that's how a sinful fallen mother can be toward a child that's, that's fallen away, that kind of love and compassion and forgiveness comes from a God. The very God that can create that and has that same grace and mercy and compassion toward you a thousand times greater than even that. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Just take that into your ears and your heart tonight, down into the deepest part of you that maybe nobody else knows about. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you from all sin. And because of that, you are a holy saint before God. You are righteous in his eyes. You are deserving of heaven. David says it so beautifully. Blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That is you. Amen.